I'm Claire. And I'm Natalie. And we are a licensed psychologist and licensed school psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. And we are here to talk to you about stories of kids and adolescents who have maybe some struggles with development or disabilities, and also the parents and the caregivers and the teachers and the therapists who love them and work with them. We've divided this podcast up into two parts. So the first part is focused more on stories and experiences that we have and that parents have shared with us about their child um, with special needs. And then the second part, we delve into more details about those experiences and what we would do with them clinically if you want some more information on that. Yep. I think that's it. Goodbye. The following message is brought to you by our lawyers. A Little Cerebral is a podcast documenting a conversation between a psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. This is intended as a conversation between two colleagues. We are not providing legal, medical, educational, or any other advice, recommendations, or treatments through this podcast. I'm Natalie. I'm Claire. And this is A Little Cerebral. And we are going to go through a story today that a parent told us who has a child with a special need. Her son is on the autism spectrum. And um, she's a mom who, I was telling Claire, so beautifully in our first take, mind Mm -hmm. you, that she is so dedicated, just like all of the moms and the parents that we see, the children that we work with, and so loving and caring and so open. it's just, it's so amazing to see. And unless you see it, I guess it's easy to say, oh, yeah, 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 all parents are like that. No. Parents who have a child with a special need are ridiculously amazing and I think, resilient. Yeah. And I think I think it's just like there's a, there's a lot of setbacks. Sometimes there's moments where you're like, how am I going to handle this? I have no model for how to handle this because the parents I know are not going through this. What do I do? And... Sometimes you mess up, but I think generally people rise to the occasion. And yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. A lot of the parents I know as well, um, I'm just blown away by their like level of dedication and like just the consistency with which they're advocating for and helping their child and doing their own work on themselves and their own expectations. Yeah. I mean, totally. I couldn't agree more. So this mom has a son and he's now in his teens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to play her whole story okay. for you guys. And then Claire and I will kind of talk about it. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say uh, before you play it is, um, to me, her voice sounds a lot like your voice. Mm. And so when I first heard this, I thought it was you. Oh, that gosh, and that's then unfortunate. Said, I have such a Muppet voice. I no, you do not have a Muppet voice. I'm actually not a Muppet. I'm a real person, <laughs> in case you're wondering. <laughs> I don't have like a puppet yeah. over here where I'm pulling so it's the not like miming. <laughs> um, but she does sound a lot like you. Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that so people aren't confused. Yeah. Okay. So this is not me. Um, I think she has a, a much more beautiful voice. So we will listen to her. One of the things that you deal with as a parent of a child with an autism diagnosis is you go through periods of not hitting certain milestones uh, that other neurotypical kids are hitting and grieving it a little bit. Um, I've done my best to try to get past it as quickly as possible because I feel like living in that space 
will only be detrimental to Liam. If I try to live in a space of hopefulness and looking forward to um, all the things he will eventually accomplish, or I guess I should say celebrating each accomplishment as they happen, um, it feels better. Uh, I feel like it's healthier. So I always wondered how other families dealt with this and approached it. Um, if I could give a gift to a parent uh, who has just been given a diagnosis or is still kind of coming to terms with a diagnosis, the gift would be just hopefulness and to continue to hold on to that. Um, there were many achievements that Liam has accomplished that I didn't know if he ever would. Entertaining the idea that he might never do that, but again, not living there. Um, I, you know, we all have different perspectives, but my perspective is that to some extent we do create our own existence. Um, and I've made a choice to create the happiest existence I can, not just for me, but for my son, uh, because he he lives with me and I know uh, he's so sensitive. And when I feel a certain way, um, I know he picks up on it. So I try to keep things light and happy and joyful and hopeful for him, for him and uh, for me as well. But one of the things, Sorry, took me a while to get to the point, but, um, you know, kids learn to ride bikes very early. Gosh, in this town, we live in Boulder now, and I see two-year-olds toddling around on those balance bikes. And I had a nine-year-old who wasn't able to ride a bike. And, you know, it just was one of those things that I was like, all right, if we never get there, there are worse things that can happen. You know, there's... There's three-wheeled bikes that we could get him. Uh, my grandma rode one when I was a kid. It had this awesome big basket. Um, anyhow, the Autism Society of Boulder County partners with this amazing nonprofit called I Can Shine. And I Can Shine has developed this just amazing um, program on how to teach individuals uh, how to ride bikes, individuals with a developmental disabilities, uh, how to ride a bike. So when Liam was nine years old, we put him in the camp. It's this intensive camp. One week you commit to going um, each day for five days in a row, and it's about an hour and 15-minute session. And they have a great success rate, like 75% of their campers um, are independent bike riders by the end of the week-long session. So we did it. Again, he was nine. Uh, we finished the session, and he was almost independent. So my husband, Joseph, and I, we made a real concerted effort to go out on the subsequent weekends after we finished this camp and just really practiced with Liam. We would choose like big empty parking lots um, and he kind of seemed to be getting it. So we took him for a few rides around the neighborhood and 
he was young still, and every time we would drive, there was so much to see, so he'd be looking around, and he would twist the handlebars as he was looking, and he just took a, a couple of, you know, head over the handlebars, tumbles, and it was scary, and he got frustrated, um, so we sort of just stopped doing the activity, and... Um, on top of that, I think we had gotten the wrong kind of bike. Definitely we didn't get the exact kind of bike that the uh, I Can Shine program had recommended, which may have been our biggest mistake. Anyhow, fast forward a couple years later. Liam's about to turn 12. Um, I am now working part-time with the Autism Society, so I'm getting to see firsthand these the camps uh, happen. The Autism Society is still running them every summer. And so many kids are just completing this camp as independent bike riders. So I decide to go on Craigslist and buy an inexpensive uh, beach cruiser style bike. And the reason for that is just because the kids, uh, the I Can Shine recommends that kind of bike because the kids are sitting upright, they're grasping the handles in an upright fashion. Um, they do recommend to get the female uh, gender style bikes because they don't have the crossbar so they can hop on and off the bike easily. So I find one on Craigslist. I think I paid 40 bucks. Uh, I take Liam with my husband to his middle school parking lot in the middle of the summer uh, before school starts and it's empty. And we, I just like, we're going to ride in circles in this parking lot all day if it takes us all day so it took us a couple hours we rode in circles going one direction going the other direction going on figure eights uh, going up and down curbs just practicing for two hours straight and then we rode a couple blocks away and we got on the boulder creek path and he did it he was an independent bike rider i have a video of that very first bike ride together as a family and it makes me want to cry. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Sorry. Anyway, I you you move past these moments. Um, you grieve briefly for what may not happen, and I think I have done that. And it seems so trivial riding a bike, you know, to some people. And I just had to let it go. And then when it happened, it was so amazing. And Liam was so proud of himself. So proud of himself. Squealing with joy. So we are now a bike riding family. Uh, we bought ourselves some, I guess you would call them hybrid bikes, commuter bikes, so they're not quite the mountain bike style that's popular out here. Um, and it's not a beach cruiser, but it's a happy mix between the two. And we bike ride around the neighborhood. We bike ride to lunch on the weekends. Um, right after Liam got comfortable on the bike at age 12, we took our first vacation and we brought all three of our bikes and we rode our bikes in Moab, um, down the canyon, and we rode into Zion National Park. It was spectacular. It was something that I had just, for many, many years, accepted that just probably wouldn't be part of my life, and I had moved on. 
and the fact that this opportunity to enjoy an activity, all three of us together, is now there. It's just, it's amazing. That's very powerful. Yeah. I definitely had tears in my eyes the first time I listened to that. Me too. Because it's so, I mean, I think, again, you kind of move past those little moments and you take, like a lot of parents take them for granted. Yeah. Yeah. I, my sister and I actually talk about this a lot because she has a son on the autism spectrum. And he's, he's actually got a pretty rare genetic disorder that in, includes autism and a seizure disorder and low tone and all these other things. But, um, you know, especially before you have a diagnosis, Mm. I think there's this period where you don't know what's going on, but you know that there is a gap between where your child is with their development and where they're supposed to be. And you see that gap widening and you see kids that were maybe born around the same time. If you were pregnant around the same time, um, like with fr- you know friends who were pregnant around the same time as you have their babies and their babies are progressing. And it's just, it's so effortless when somebody is neurotypical Mm -hmm. and you just take it for granted. And then Mm -hmm. I think when you have a child who is not neurotypical, especially because you may not know what's going on. They didn't know that he had this genetic disorder because it's very rare. And there was a mutation um, on his DNA, not on, it wasn't something that he inherited from my sister or her husband. So there's this period of like, am I doing enough? Yeah, right. And grieving and the second guessing of yourself and then, but you don't know what to do. And I experienced that actually a lot with Bay. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think too, just in my own experience, um, you know, taking my voice to different therapists and not necessarily doctors, but therapists. And I cried after every single mm-hmm. uh session with them and just because you know it's such a hard feeling to know as a parent that there's something that's not quite there with your child or Mm -hmm. not it's supposed to be there and you don't see it or maybe you're the only one that sees it or Mm -hmm. you know and then you're given this list of all these things to do just just sort of like that so you yeah before you walk in you're like maybe there's not anything wrong and then you walk out and you're like well I guess that's that and I think that, and and again, like my boys, it, it wasn't, I didn't get an autism diagnosis. I didn't yeah. get a genetic disorder diagnosis. Uh-huh. I didn't get any of that. And it was still so emotional mm-hmm. for me as a parent. Yeah. I mean, I would say even for my son, because like, it's pretty unspecified what's yeah, right. going on. I mean, yeah. Okay. Learning disorder, but it, that's pretty vague. That just is to me describing a symptom. It's not describing why. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not like, the, what is the neurobiology behind that? And I don't, I just know he was premature by a month and that he didn't have prenatal care because he's adopted. I don't have a lot of background on him. There was some suspicion that his mom may have had an intellectual disability. But um, for, like, for him, I just see one of the things that has really impacted me lately is I have a nine-year-old who is starting to get the attitude that is pretty consistent because he's old enough to be a fourth grader, but he's a third grader, but that would be consistent with a fourth grader. Like that attitude is starting to show up and he's talking like a four-year-old. So -hmm. the way those arguments are coming out is four-year-old language and that like juxtaposition of like, okay, my body's here and here are my hormones and here's where my language is Mm -hmm. and my ability to express myself or Mm -hmm. my ability to reason and process things that's over here. 
it just was like very um, glaring, I guess, yeah, to me. Right. You know, so, and I think another thing that's interesting to talk about is I think that perhaps, and this would be interesting, Claire, to get your take on it. I think it's interesting how I was the one who took the boys to appointments. So emotionally, it really impacted me. Yeah. And then when I went to relay the information, it was like like total garbly gook. Like I couldn't remember anything yes. and I was so upset. Yes. And then, you know, my husband wanted the facts, which I get, which is fine. And I couldn't really produce the facts. And, um, you know, I think probably in a lot of ways, like I felt sort of like slighted. Like I got all of this emotional baggage on me. Now I have to do this because I can't communicate to my partner really what we're supposed to do or why because mm. in the session I was so sort of like emotional. I was sort of half listening. I mean, I was trying right. to listen, but I'm not taking it in. And That was actually my question is if when you heard that, like if it was emotional flooding, could you really process the information? Maybe you could process it in a way that you understood, especially because of your background, but could you process it in a way where you could then go home and articulate exactly yeah. what you had heard? Well, so that was the, one of the first therapy appointments. And then after that, I actually videoed all of oh, my other therapy so appointments. And then I made a Google Doc of all the videos because that I can share. Because I can't still, like I'm a therapist and it's, what's nice about it is it's, like silver lining, it's really made me aware of how I communicate to parents mm -hmm. and perhaps what emotionally they're going through when I'm telling them something mm -hmm. and how not to talk about a child in front of them. Because even when I brought my two-year-old in and a therapist was talking about him, he was right there listening. And then he knew exactly what we were talking about. As and he was two, also and it cueing into you. his confidence. Yeah, right. And he was, yeah, amazing. he was cueing into your like emotional response mm -hmm. too. And even if he didn't 100% like grasp, he knew that it was something that was bad, right? Yeah. Or something to, in his right. mind, like this is bad, right. would be how a kid would perceive it. Yeah. And I think maybe we've been to like four or five different people, but there's already a fear of doctors. There's a yeah. fear of who are we going to go see and what's wrong with me? This is before he was even age three. And I really didn't, I didn't have him in like consistent therapy, you know, but he could tell. And so I think that, you know, there's some, there's sort of a twofold message. One is, for parents going in, like we know it's really emotional and I think it's helpful to even tell the therapist who you're seeing like, like yeah. this is this is hard for me. Yeah. And it's okay to cry. I would say probably 85 plus percent of the sessions that I have with parents, they cry. And I'm so grateful that they do it because it allows me to know where they are emotionally mm -hmm. and what information to bring forward. I also would recommend, if you can, videoing it Mm -hmm. And getting your partner involved because it's so draining in so many ways just to do it by yourself. Yeah. And, and that's I, what happens a lot because somebody's taking care of the kids or somebody's at yeah, work. Yeah, right. Um, I think the third part, too, just for therapists who are listening is really kind of take this to heart. Be very mindful of how you're talking about kids in front of them because I don't think it's something – it's something that you're certainly told, but – Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times you're like, I could probably say this and they won't really know. Mm -hmm. Like they know. The kid, the child knows what you're, what you're doing and that something's not quite right. And why are they seeing these strangers? And yeah, yeah. That's, those are really good points. Um, and I think also, you know, I mean, cause I've diagnosed kids with autism. I've done autism evaluations and, you know, I think when you're 
in the middle of your practice, you know, you're like, okay, I have to get this report ready. I'm doing this. I have this person scheduled. I have to do this. And you're, you're kind of like caught up in the logistics. And if you've done enough evaluations or enough whatever the same, you get caught up in that instead of like, this is a person who's sitting here and you're about to give them really big news. Mm-hmm. And they're, the, that news, when you deliver it, People cry because it's a relief. People cry because they don't, you know, maybe they're sad. Maybe there's grieving. People cry for lots of different reasons, but it's it's a loaded diagnosis a yeah. lot of the time. And even these even these other things can be kind yeah. of loaded because you're like, what do I do now? Right. And then also, like, who do I turn to? Like, right. who do I call? Like, do mm-hmm. I call my mom? And I'm like, hey, now yeah. your grandson has an autism diagnosis. Or like, who do you, like, mm-hmm. what's an appropriate way like how do you go about this and I've never as a therapist you know this is maybe the first one of the first times I've thought about it I've never as a therapist told the parent um you know after this is there someone that you can go and talk to or do you have someone like do you have a plan after this that can be supportive I was actually just thinking that is that that would be a great step would be something along the lines of okay so this is this is big news even if maybe you were anticipating it because this is an evaluation, this is big news. Who can you call so that you feel supported? Yeah. Or even telling them maybe ahead of time before they come in. Like for any type of evaluation, like we like to make sure that there's a support system because whether or not you get a diagnosis for your child, it's emotional. Yeah. How cool would it be? Like, because I don't know if you do recommendations, but like when I do, like an autism eval is about 20 pages for me. Mm -hmm. And that includes like some of the charts and stuff because I don't do those as appendices. But, and that includes the recommendations um, because I'm pretty thorough. And, you know, in those recommendations, there's a lot of them. And how cool would it be if there was a piece around parent self-care? Yeah. Because we don't talk about this enough. We talk about the kid and what the kid needs, but, um, Kids are pretty much only going to be doing as well as their parents are doing. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not taking care of, you know, the caregivers, how can we expect the child to progress and be okay? And I just think we don't address this enough. And maybe that needs to be part of like a holistic approach to evaluations. And and that could be like a formal evaluation, like testing, like I'm doing or something that's more informal, you know. Yeah. I also think that, you know, hopefully with things like this, with this podcast, having more of a community to turn to, mm-hmm. um, who's, parents who have gone through the same thing, I think is really yeah. helpful. Like for me, I didn't have any parents who'd gone through the same thing. So I could talk to them, but I'm not getting anything back necessarily. And is it something that I really want to bring up to my friends? Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes behind it. Right. Because we were kind of talking about Um, last time a little bit about how, especially for something that might be more complex or that people haven't heard about, like some of the things, what was it that your son was, was it reflex integration? Was it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it would be a a tongue tie release. Okay. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things that maybe people haven't ever heard of, or they've heard of it like autism and they have a picture in their mind and that doesn't match the full spectrum. And so what also happens is I mean, I think it's important to be thoughtful about who you talk to because there are people who will negate everything you've just been told because it doesn't match what they understand about development. And they may yeah. not be qualified to say right. that. And it can make – then it's it's even worse because then parents kind of feel like, well, am I, am I overblowing this? 
you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or maybe am I making too much of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of can make you, it's like crazy making, like, what do you do yeah, then? Right? right. And so I think it's important to be thoughtful if you're, um, a person who is a family member or friend or works with people, uh, who have disabilities, like, and like maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or whatever, not to negate the findings, um, of evaluations, or if you're a parent or caregiver, whoever's, who is getting those findings to be thoughtful about who you talk to. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think going back to this story that we heard in mm-hmm. the beginning, um, I think one of the big takeaways for me is that for every family, I think it's so nice to have a family activity and how yeah. bonding that is. Yeah. And I think that when you have a child with special needs, it's difficult or it can be difficult to find those activities that everybody can enjoy together. Mm-hmm. And that could be because your child doesn't have the motor skills to participate in something like bike riding. Or it could be that they don't have the cognitive skills to play like a game or Mm -hmm. something. But I do think it's important to find anything that you can all do together. Everybody, every member of the family can do together. And do it consistently. Like every Sunday we do this. And sometimes, I mean, there are some programs out there that support this. Like Autism Climbs. Mm -hmm. It's great. We have a family that we co-treat the child and they're a part of Autism Climbs. Um, And then there's, I think, the National Sports Center for the Disabled. And that's broader. I think they work a lot with, like, veterans as well. But there are are adaptive um, ways to manage Adaptive ski programs. It just kind of depends on, again, like, where you are in the diagnosis, how easy, how willing you are to to search those out, and where are you (laughs) I also think that it's okay to cry, and Mm -hmm. that's something everybody has to get over, right? But I think that being okay with the feelings that come up in front of other people instead of hiding it, and that's part of what we're doing here. We're trying to kind of get those emotions out Mm -hmm. on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny because it's like such a basic thing that I work with kids about. Like, there are no good feelings or bad feelings. There are comfortable feelings and uncomfortable feelings, and they all have a purpose. And it's okay to feel the feelings you feel <laughs> and all of that. And we say that to kids, but we don't um, – a lot of times it. we don't, like, take that in for ourselves or allow ourselves that. Yeah. So I think one of the things she t- alluded to was, like, the grieving. And I think it's okay to grieve or to even, like – just table your emotions. I'm not sure how to feel, but I do feel like the self-care piece for parents of kids with disabilities is so important. And there's some actually specific types of therapy in terms of like counseling Mm -hmm. that could be useful. Um, Acceptance and commitment therapy, it's called ACT, is a cognitive behavioral technique. And it's it's really useful for things um, like chronic illness um, or just, you know, a situation where these are the circumstances. We're not going to change the circumstances. We're going to say we embrace all of it and how do we move through it, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we accept that and move through it with willingness? Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be especially useful for families. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we really liked that story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. If you have a story you would like to send in and share, we'd love to hear it. We would. We'd love to listen. Um, we love hearing from you. So Should we tell them where to send it? Sure. Where, where do they actually, where should they send it? That's a good question. A little cerebral at gmail.com. Yes. You can do even a voice memo oh. and um, somehow send that, I think. Yes. But you might have to do a retake and figure out a different way to do it because I actually don't know if that would work. Yeah. So you might need to consult around. people with 
um, more technological prowess. Mm. Than find us. a college, a college yeah. person. Yeah, find. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I feel like that should be a new gig for college people. Is like, let me tell you how basic like, things work. Yeah. I would totally pay <laughs> money this for piece that. Of tech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, well, thanks, and tune in next time. Yep. Goodbye. Bye.